Ewan, it's such a pleasure to have you here on the show today. I am really looking forward to talking to you about Willow. I've been looking through the product. It looks absolutely fantastic. I can't wait to hear the story of Willow from you directly. Um, but before we get into Willow, I'd love to talk about you and learn more about your background. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it's exciting to be here. My background is digital marketing. So I started my career uh, 15, 16 years ago now. And back then I just graduated from Glasgow University and I got my first graduate job in marketing. And that was digital marketing. I was the, the first digital marketer in the organization that I've been hired into. And it was an organization that was heavily um, newspaper and radio based. So digital was like a whole new world uh, for the organization and for me as well. Uh, so I spent, you know, 14, 15 years in digital marketing with a number of different organizations. Um, over that period of time as well, I started my own digital marketing agency in 2018, uh, which worked with a number of startups and helped them to scale. And I also, in that time, founded a car finance company, um, which was really online, online car finance. It was all about customer acquisition. So digital marketing was really fundamental to the success of that business. And then uh, fast forward to three years ago, started, started Willow. Uh, so yeah, quite a short career path so far. Um, based in Glasgow in Scotland for all of that time and uh, done did a lot of traveling in that time as well. And yeah, I find it really important to try and get out and, and see as much of the world as possible, especially being from Scotland where it's, uh, it's dark and rainy and we tend to live under the clouds for most of it. So I think it's important to get out and see other places and see the I'm Irish. Sky. I'm Irish. So I, I fully understand what you're talking about with regard to a lack yeah. of sun. Um, yeah. So that's really interesting. So you've been, you've really had quite a long entrepreneurial journey of multiple different ventures. Um, have you moved on from all of those ventures and you're exclusively on Willow now? Yeah, good question. Exclusively on Willow now. Um, and that is a, that was a conscious effort, Nick. I think the whole, uh, kind of learning from previous organizations and previous efforts was that without the focus, it's really hard to, to be successful in any of them. You know, that obviously we talk about like spinning multiple plates and things. And I always thought that was just a cliche phrase that people threw around until I had multiple businesses at the same time. And then I realized quite quickly that you can spin multiple plates, but you can obviously drop a lot of those plates. And um, so when I started uh, um, Willow in 2020, when we took our first round of funding, that was when I wrapped up everything else and decided to go to go full time on Willow and, and get rid of all the distractions. Um, and to give you an idea of those distractions, I spent like, you know, my, my entire life really coming up with startup ideas. Um, I have a whole folder of, of startup ideas, which has followed me around since about 2008 or something like that. And it's just a folder full of startup ideas. And that was really fun and everything, but, um, it's not, it's not the most productive way to kind of live your life when you're constantly going from like, you know, idea to idea, trying to figure out what you want to do with your life. So decided to go all in a will. Okay. Excellent. So with those other ventures and when you moved on, was that, was the investment contingent upon you extricating yourself from those other ventures? It was, but I did, uh, I did actually negotiate that I could do other things that I wanted and the investors actually agreed to that, uh, which was nice. 
Um, but you know, to the to the point I just mentioned a minute ago, it was it was actually a personal decision to to focus um, on just one. But yeah, typically that's a really good point to talk about. Nick actually is typically in your investment docs, it's going to have like an exclusivity clause or something where the the founders and the directors need to be focused on one business, um, and they need to dedicate all their time a bit like an employment contract. Is that the same then for you? You have co-founders in the business, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Is that the same for them then that they're exclusive yeah. to the business? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. So then let's get into Willow itself. You have this folder of loads of different business ideas. Was Willow in that folder at one point and how did it uh, get created? Yeah, good point. So Willow was in the folder and <laughs> it was in the folder 2014. So in 2014, I was, well, I'll, I'll kind of rewind. So I'm, I'm, basically hiring people into organizations, um, you know, typically startups, scale-ups and being dyslexic, I found that reading CVs and reading cover letters was really difficult. It was really challenging for me and um, it was really inefficient way of screening people. Um, but also from, from being on the other side of the fence, when I was an applicant, I found that writing CVs and cover letters as a dyslexic person was really hard. It was quite inefficient. It was quite discriminatory as well, because I just knew straight off the bat that my CVs, my cover letters weren't going to be as strong as the other candidates. Um, because, you know, being dyslexic, you can't, you can't structure things as well. And, and structure is a huge part of, of a CV or a cover letter. It has to follow a certain structure and tell a, you know, a story and complicated. So I always, I always had a real, like, um, I guess frustration with the CV and the cover letter. Uh, um, so. I'm thinking to myself when I'm hiring, how do I, I remove this inefficiency? And I started asking people for, for videos back in 2014. Um, and I just said to them, you know, in it, thanks for your application, because it was typically like an online application form. Can you send me a quick video just introducing yourself and why you want to work here? And that was it. And then I just, you know, send the email back to them. And if they were interested, they would send me a video. And if they weren't interested, they wouldn't. So that was like the first sort of filter. And then if the videos did come in, I could then watch them back, get a really good idea for who they were, and then, you know, progress them or, or not progress them. But it was an amazing kind of hiring hack for me quite early on. And, and this is like way before a video was even, you know, the done thing. If you like cast your mind back to, you know, use, use Instagram or Snapchat as, as a concept, they were pretty much just photos at that point. You were, you were taking, you know, selfies. And that was like 2014, 15, 16. And then eventually the, the selfie video came along. But this is like pre, pre the selfie video. So people weren't comfortable really talking on camera. It wasn't a done thing. Um, but it did, it did really open up a huge amount of information for me, um, quite early on to, to figure out who we should be speaking to in hiring. And, and it was literally just because I was putting myself in the, you know, the candidate's shoes and thinking to myself, this is a really crappy way of introducing myself to a company. And then on the flip side as an employer, I used to, you know, hate sitting down and reading like piles of CVs because I wasn't very good at it. And it took me ages. I would go through with a highlighter and just highlight bits, but that's so stupid as well, because I'm highlighting just highlights of a person that just makes no sense. And um, so just trying to like get rid of all that. So it, it became an idea 2014, I'm an holiday and I'm like sitting down and like, this should be an idea, like a business and concept should be created here and then spent about a year kind of throwing that idea around I, for some reason all this to these ideas and holiday 
I guess, because it was downtime. So I would like sit on my laptop or whatever and just like sketch things out of it. Um, and yeah, sketch out this kind of, it was originally a job board and uh, a video application. So we had like video job was the concept. And it was like, you went on this job board and it was just a job board of, of employers that accepted videos. You click on one and it'd take you through to a video application and then the video application would come to the employer. And we did an MVP and stuff and it was, it was fine, but we, uh, we learned really quickly that it was, it was, well, first of all, building a job board is a massive undertaking. And um, so if you look at like the, there's like almost two businesses, there's like a job board and the video piece, the job board itself is like a massive thing to bite off. You've got to spend a lot of mar money on marketing. You've got to get all these people to your job board, but they need to be of a certain quality. Otherwise the employers aren't going to be there for long and you got to keep that going. And there's, there's a whole bunch of stuff that we never really thought about when it came to the job boards that we hadn't really factored in. And then the other piece was that we built an iOS app. So back then you couldn't capture a video in the browser like we're doing, you know, now we had to have an embedded app. So we built an iOS app that captured it through the actual camera, like the front camera, but we excluded like 50% of our customers because, or our candidates, sorry, because we didn't have an Android app. So it was always, it was destined to fail, <laughs> but it was an interesting learning curve. Uh, and we learned a bunch about that idea and, and that was the kind of early, you know, the roots for Willow. When was that? So that was, uh, 2015 and then Willow, Willow was, came to fruition in 2019. And that you, you mentioned we uh, a couple of times, who were your early we team? Yeah. So 2014, 15 was, uh, a number of other guys in Glasgow that I'd met up with and, and expressed this like, idea or this concept too. And, and I was going to be customer number one as well. So I was like, Hey guys, if we build this thing, I already have a customer It's me and, and I can uh, start using it straight away. So yeah, it was like, uh, three of us and we just built it out on like evenings and weekends and stuff. And when did you deprecate the job board side of it? And you kind of just stuck with the, the video side. Uh, so we, we canned both at the same time, uh, end of 2015. Right. Okay. Um, so, so that then kind of leads us on to the point of knowing that you were onto something. What, what was that sort of aha moment that you said, okay, th we've got something really cool on our hands here. Yeah. So this is, this is a, a, a kind of massive learning from you was you can sit around all day and come up with ideas. And I had come up with obviously a whole bunch of ideas, like I said, in this stupid folder, but, um, folders, but the, the kind of the aha moment for me was we had wrapped up this idea in 2015 and I'm then going, hang on a second, there's something in this, but I don't really know enough about it. So then I started investigating the space, like looking at competitors, what other people were doing in that space. And I had quite quickly realized that, Hey, if other people are doing this, there's demand that's quite conflicting though, right? Because Often when you're thinking about business concepts and ideas and entrepreneurs are talking about like ideas, they think that they need to be the first person to market. Otherwise there's no point going there. And like, you know, if it's, it's, you know, the zoom's already made video conferencing. I can't build a video conferencing app. That would be stupid. Uh, cause they've already done it, but that's like so flawed, obviously, because there's like 7 billion people in the world or something. It just, you're never going to reach them all, even if you try And um, there's plenty of space for more than one competitor, but I quite quickly realized when I was doing my research, just desk 
based research. So there was a whole bunch of people in the space that we were, you know, playing in that did video interview. Uh, they were mostly US based companies and they had mostly been founded around the 2011, 12, 13 period. So it's kind of when video and webcams and stuff were starting to become quite mainstream. And yeah, I realized then that if they're there, there is space for us to be there too. There's also validation of the concept and the idea. Like some of these companies were doing quite well. They'd raised quite a lot of funding. And that was the validation that I needed to actually pursue this as a business. And that, that was, that was probably the second time I'd ever done that where I'd gone, Hey, if someone else is doing it, that's the validation we can do it too. The other, the other validation I had for that was car financing. So the online car financing thing, I, um, realized and, and actually really dug into the competitors in our space and basically looked at whatever they were doing, we could do, but we could do it slightly better and we would win. And it was, it was quite, it was quite refreshing to realize that, that first of all, we didn't need to be the only players in the market, but second of all, you could actually benefit from that. You could learn from them and be like, you only need to be a tiny bit better and you'll win. And you can learn from all, all their mistakes as well. You know, if they, for example, put up like some pricing strategy and then take it away two weeks later, it's probably because it didn't work. So you're like, yes, that's a win for us. We'll just not use the old one. We use that new concept. There's like loads of really cool stuff like that where it was, uh, it was quite obvious to me, but yeah, going, you know, back to the kind of cliche, typical entrepreneurial approach before that, I was always looking for uniqueness and first to market and stuff, which just isn't a thing. So if we look at Willow today, um, what is that? How does it work for those who are uninitiated? Sure. So good question. Um, let's start with what Willow is as a concept. So Willow is a video interviewing platform and we enable employers to build structured interviews that they can send out to any candidate anywhere through email, text message, or job board. Candidates record their responses and then submit them for a review. Um, so typical, typical employer is building an interview with maybe five questions. Those questions are presented to the candidate. Candidate answers all five questions, click submit, and then they go straight to the employer and the employer reviews them in their own time. Um, so it's like a, it's like a zoom or a teams interview, but it's one way and it's recorded. Uh, the beauty of that is that it's totally scalable as well. So you can do multiple interviews at the same time. And this is totally asynchronous. Correct. Yeah. Excellent. So when people are looking for uh, a solution to the problem of, um, you know, just having, uh, CVs coming in or forms being filled out and they're looking for, um, a, an async video based interviewing platform, when they come to you, what are the problems that they're coming to you with? Uh, and why do they end up choosing you as opposed to your competition who you've referenced earlier on? Sure. Okay. Big question. I'll start with the first bit. Why did they come to us and what's the problems that they've got? So the, the problems that they're coming to us with typically is scale. So they need to hire, you know, say they need to hire 40 engineers for a new project or a new product stream. Um, to hire 40 engineers, you need to do, you know, maybe three times as many interviews and three times as many interviews is, is typically going to be, you know, a hundred. 50, 200 plus interviews. And to do that many interviews, you need to spend a lot of man time 
or or repeatable time on that. It's a huge amount of time. And a lot of companies that we speak to don't have that resource. So they come to us with a scale problem where like, you know, they need to do a lot of interviews in a short space of time. They also will typically be coming to us with the challenge of being fully remote now. So they might have, you know, over the past few years become fully remote or they might be working in multiple time zones. Either of those things throws up even more challenges when it comes to hiring because you will find that, you know, if you want to interview somebody in India and you're in the UK, the either either the candidate or the employer is going to be at a slight disadvantage because of the time zones. Um, and that, that can be a real struggle, particularly at scale, um, where you end up with, you know, a lot of people on the fringes of somebody's time zone and it just doesn't really work very well. And then the other the other piece is, is diversity and inclusion. So that's that's probably the other large challenge people come to us with. So like scalability, remote, and then diversity and inclusion. Diversity and inclusion is a really interesting one. People come to us and they're like, we, you know, we're hiring, um, you know, all white males and we don't want to be doing that, but our application and hiring process just seems to make that happen and they want to branch out. And the, the typical way of, of doing that is using something like Willow. So Willow is an amazing example of, um, opening doors and, and really increasing your accessibility and your inclusion. So for example, by using um, using a Willow interview rather than requesting a cover letter, you are opening up your job application process to people that perhaps have poor literacy skills, perhaps where you know writing English isn't the strength of theirs. Perhaps they cannot travel. They might be you know in a place that has poor public transport. They might be in a you know a situation where they can't afford public transport to get to the interview, or they can't um, you know perhaps write very well um, because they've got you know learning difficulties or they have some neurodiverse background that makes structuring a CV impossible. Uh, so there's a whole bunch of, of reasons why using an alternative to, to the CV in the application process is, is powerful. So they come to us and they will literally be opening up their, their candidate pool to a much wider and more diverse range of people. Um, and you also break in a lot of those barriers in terms of geography as well, which is cool. There's so many points there that, that um, I wanted to dive into. Uh, yeah. With regard to, let's say, the scaling part there, and you're talking about um, the scalability that, or the issue of scalability when you're trying to hire for you know a load of different roles. Maybe a company has just recently received a, a huge investment and now it's time to really put the, the fuel on the fire. Um, when it comes to the, the stage of the interview that Willow works best in, is that, you know, a screener stage? Is that a kind of a, a later stage or is it actually at every stage in the hiring process? Good question. It can be any stage. And my preferred approach, this is obviously from speaking to a lot of employers, um, my preferred approach for employers is to use it at the screening stage and then round one of interviews. So you're going to bring candidates in. The first thing that they're going to do is complete a will. And then you're going to shortlist those down and then you're going to invite them to a second willow. And typically the first willow is going to be more broad. So it might be things like, you know, tell me about what motivates you, why do you want to work here? Um, what do you hope to achieve in the next three years or something? Um, and that's quite broad. And then you're going to go in the first stage interview with willow into more deep dive. So it might be, for example, um, a problem solving question, like, a customer who comes to you and they want to cancel their plan, how would you speak to them and how would you approach that and, and 
um, resolves the issue. Uh, and you're trying to sort of narrow it down and get into a tighter um, approach. And then the second, sort of the second stage until you then potentially be what we're doing now over, over Zoom or something. I see. Um, so where do recruiters tend to leverage Willow best then in, in that kind of a setup? Uh, so today, the majority of our users or our customers are putting it in the screening stage. Um, so they're trying to take a large pool of candidates and chop that down into a manageable pool of candidates so they can progress with. So it's the talent acquisition team inside of those companies who are going through those different screeners and then they're kind of moving those candidates on, moving those willows on to hiring managers for a further review. Yeah, correct. Yeah, so your typical TA team for us, our typical TA team is about five people within an organization. So an organization with you know a thousand employees plus will have a TA team of about five. And those five people, just even saying those numbers out loud to you, five people you just know isn't enough to do all those things. Um, so they, yeah, they're using it to kind of chop down, then they're passing them onto the hiring manager. Hiring managers then reviewing those willows. They have like a kind of, you know, a nice dashboard that they can view all the candidates in one screen as well. Um, there's no login or anything for the hiring managers either. So we've always, we've always had this like mindset of like the hiring manager is too busy is stressed but needs to do hiring properly so we kind of just try and design everything around the hiring manager um you know minimal touch points no login easy to do on the go but also consuming the right amount of information about each candidate so that they can make good decisions and that's what we obviously want uh, so yeah that, that's kind of how it works typically you're going to be passing it along the chain and then you get to second stage interview and then it will it would become base to base that leads me nicely onto my next question, which was about your customers. Um, you know, you reference different kind of end user uh, or applicant experiences, and uh, you know that made me think about who are the kinds of customers who you currently have and, and who you're going to be going after. Yeah, um, good question. So our customer base has changed over the past three years, which is a good thing, I think. Uh, we started off our real focus was SMEs, so I uh, originally had this plan that we would be, you know, powering the hiring process of every coffee shop, restaurant and bar and hotel on the street. And that obviously changes a lot during COVID uh, because all of those businesses closed their doors for a short period. Yeah. And we quite quickly realized that, hey, bars, restaurants and hotels probably aren't the best thing to be focusing on in 2020, 2021. So we changed our approach after the first year. And start focusing on mid-market, so mid-market customers, and and in the past year, enterprise customers, and those verticals that they're setting in is typically healthcare. Uh, so healthcare, mostly U.S.-based, retail, um, and retail can kind of sort of flip into e-commerce, warehousing as well. A large part of our retail customer base is actually warehousing, and then the final one is uh, software. So technology slash software. Uh, and those three articles, uh, they've come out of, um, I guess, over the course of the three years, just analyzing our customer base and then looking at just getting the most value. So we're, we're quite a fortunate position that we, we obviously every month acquire new customers and we also churn a certain number of customers. But what we can do over the course of the year and every quarter is look at who's still with us and then use that to inform our ICP. So for example, in year one, 
it was quite heavy SME. But what we also saw was that the SMEs were churning and the people that were left were mid-market and then they were in those three verticals. And then year two, we did the same and we just narrowed it down and narrowed it down and narrowed it down to the point where we now can quite confidently say our ICP looks like this. Um, but that's only just come over the years of refining and, and actually acquiring potentially the wrong customer and then learning that they were the wrong customer. I see. You touched upon customer value creation. What are the customer success metrics that you use to be able to quantifiably say this customer is successful with Willow versus a, another customer who maybe um, more needs to be done to bring them up to see the real value of the platform? Yeah. So we're really fortunate. We have one metric that underpins all metrics. And I can confidently say that is number of interviews. So number of interviews completed. So if I put into perspective, a customer that's doing 300 interviews a month is saving a couple of thousand hours um, of time. They're also then saving a lot of money because there's less salaries involved, but then their outcome is also better. So they're typically going to be hiring more candidates and better quality candidates in less time. And all of those things go back to the number of interviews. So we're always looking for number of interviews. Once you've, once you've completed seven interviews on Willow, you are most likely to, to upgrade and start paying. So we have a 15 day free trial in that 15 day period. We need more than seven interviews to be received. That's when the employer gets the value because you realize that, Hey, this works. Candidates like it. We can, you know, screen them. We can hire them. There's something in it, um, any less than seven and, and you've not really seen the value. So we're always trying to push that up. We have a, a metric as well for this year. We want to complete 1 million interviews. So we needed to, it's pretty much double what we did last year. And we did about half a million interviews last year. We need to get to 1 million interviews this year. If we get to 1 million, 1 million interviews, then everything else falls into place. Because it's obviously, is tied to things like revenue as well. Customers that do a certain number of interviews pay us more because they're getting the value and the candidates are happy and everything else, it all filters down, which is really nice because you can't say that about many businesses that you can have one metric. Um, you know, it tends to, if you do pick one metric, it tends to be sort of switched in and, and kind of bastardized into a space. Um, but we can fortunately say that it does actually work here. Excellent. Um, so then with regard to your customers and, and they're signing up, when they sign up, are they signing up to a certain amount of interviews that they get, like an allocation, or is it a monthly SaaS model? How does that work? Sure. So it's a 15-day free trial of our mid-tier plan. So we call it our growth plan. So that allows you to do 4,000 interviews a month, and that's our ICP. So we're bringing you in on the ICP plan. You're getting, you know, all of the features for 15 days. We want you to really maximize those features because that's when you realize the value. So for example, we want you to add all of your TA team and a bunch of your hiring managers. Uh, we want you to do more than seven interviews. We want you to use the branding and we want you to get all the other good value that you get out of the platform. And then at the end of the 15 day free trial, you're then going to go either up into a more expensive plan. Uh, you're going to stay on the plan that you're on, or you're going to maybe downgrade to a slightly lower volume, lower cost plan. Um, and that's how, that's how it kind of works. In terms of the actual business model itself, it's a subscription model. So we have monthly, we have annual, and then we have multi-year um, subscription agreements. When 
companies are looking at you, when prospective com- um, when prospective customers are looking at Willow, um, and you end up edging out the competition, what are the points that you keep on hearing as to why you end up winning in those competitive cases? Yeah. So this is uh, this is interesting. It's it's funny because I've been talking about it for three years and it's not changed. Uh, the, the the number one thing that we win on is customer service. And um, so if we look at the competitors, the customer service is, is either non-existent, which is crazy, or it's really poor. And we win on that every day because we just do good customer service. We, uh, we do it live. We do it proactively. It's real people. It's actually us. It's like me, my co-founder, all the other people on the team, we all answer uh, tickets. And we all have equal responsibility to answer those tickets. We don't have a customer service person. We are all customer service people. And that is what wins number one, hands down above everything else. And I think that one of the key reasons I can cite for that is that, and we spoke about this before the call, was that what we're doing, our service and our software as a concept is still quite new. Uh, it's not a you know a typical commodity that customers are just buying off the shelf. It is quite a new concept. So having somebody to hold your hand and guide you through that, I think is essential. Um, you know, our customers are still early adopters, I would say. And and those early adopters, they want the reassurance and the hand holding and the comfort that they're using it to the best of their abilities and that they have any problems or questions along the way, we're like right there at the end of the the phone or the email. Excellent. You were talking about your um, the different members of the customer service team, and I, I understand yeah. that people are sharing hats. Uh, yeah. Who who's in the team? How big is the company now, and how is it kind of split out by department? Sure. So we have twenty people, and they're all working remotely, and they all work in different time zones. So we have we can go like left to right. We can go from Canada. We go UK. We then go to Ukraine, we go to Philippines, and there's a bunch of people in between. And that's the way we built it. It's 20 people in total. Across the business, it's quite an even split. So uh, 40% sales, 40% product and engineering, and then kind of the rest. Um, so it's quite an even split between sales and product. As, as you would probably expect in the SaaS business. Um, but yeah, like I said, all working remotely across different time zones. And we've we've done that since day one. One of the reasons we did that was because we found it during COVID, so we had no choice. Um, you know, for example, I never met my co-founder for a year. We wow. uh, raised our friend in 2020. We didn't actually meet in person that year, which is amazing and uh, has... Uh, Shows a lot about the power of remote that we can actually do all that without ever meeting face to face. But what we decided to do was continue that into our hiring philosophy and continue that into our working policies and stuff. So we, for example, have you know a really really exciting work from anywhere policy. You can work from anywhere that you want to. Um, you don't even need to tell us if you just decide to like start working in a different country. That's okay. Doesn't make any difference. Um, it's just wherever you do your best work. So. It's kind of the idea has been to always try and push that and push that and push that because that is ultimately what you know we were built on, but it's also what Willow enables a lot of our employers to do is, is to work remotely. 
You and I'm really interested in that last point about remote work. We've seen a lot of companies now that the pandemic is easing off and is almost over in most most places. Uh, a lot of companies are now saying, well, now we want you to come back. We want you to be hybrid or in some cases, we want you to be back full time. What's your take on that uh, sort of reverse on trend? And what do you think works best for the modern worker? Yeah, so we could, I could quite confidently say that we would lose a good percentage of our people if we weren't remote. And I think that's a really interesting sign of the way things have changed over the past few years. But it's also a really big warning sign for companies, I think, that want to go back. And um, that if they go back, they're going to lose some of their really good people. Uh, we would definitely lose good people. We would also lose a lot of the focus and the drive that our people have. So, for example, one of our team members likes to go to the gym at like 4.30 because he has a class that he goes to. If we told him to go back to the office, he wouldn't be able to attend a 4.30 gym class. He would then lose out on his fitness. He'd be nagged out and he would probably look for something else, right? Um, it's, it's simple. I mean, it sounds simple when you say it like that, but it's quite quite fundamental to the way that people work and, and operate. And like, you know, his whole family life and things is all weird around that. And I think that work and you know in the future needs to be mindful of that because work is such a significant part of a person's day and obviously of their life that it needs to be a fair balance um to try and get the most out of people so i think that yeah i could confidently say to you that we would lose our best people if we weren't remote um, but it's also key to i think the drive and the determination and the motivation of a lot of our team that we have remote and we also have to work from anywhere policy. So to put that into another example, we have a colleague that will be going to the US for three weeks, but she wants to go to the US to visit her family for three weeks. She's going to work for a week there and then spend two weeks vacationing with her family. That is not possible in most organizations because you're typically limited to two weeks. It wouldn't be allowed that week. So then she can go there and be there for three weeks and it would just change the way that you know, her visit worked out, but then also her motivation towards working for Willow worked out as well. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a big thing for us. I also personally enjoy it. I also take it, you know, to the, to the extreme. I was, for example, skiing last week and rather than take it as a vacation period, I took it as a ski in the morning, work in the afternoon period. And that did a huge amount for my motivation levels, but also from a kind of, um, team perspective, it, it gave us, you know, interesting things to talk about. It gave us new challenges as well, but it also opened up a lot of interesting doors for us because I had, you know, I was meeting different people I had new, you know, experiences. So there's a whole bunch of stuff that comes off the back of that. And I think it's just, it's invaluable for us moving forward. I love it. Fantastic. So let's move on now to your recent good news. Uh, you recently raised quite a bit of money. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about that raise, that process, and then ultimately what you intend to do with it? Sure. So this was our third raise. We're calling it a pre-Series A. Uh, so we did a raise in 2020, 2021, and then 2022. And that most recent raise that just happened there that you're talking about was 1.5 million. And the 1.5, I 
allows us and enables us to do two things. First of all, expand in the US. So building a team of people in the US this year and establishing ourselves as a European and North American business. And then the other string of that investment piece is product development and product development specifically in different types of tests and assessments for candidates. Um, so at the moment when we talk about Willow, we're typically talking about video interviewing. So asking questions and candidates responding on video or audio. But in 2023 and four, we also want to enable Willow to ask candidates questions in different ways. For example, numeracy tests, language tests, psychometric tests, all wrapped up in the same experience so that the employer not only gets video and audio answers from the candidate, but they can also review their, you know, their literacy, numeracy skills, et cetera, all in the same place under one roof. Excellent. Who is it that you raise the money from? And can you talk to us about that process? Because you raise money at a time when money isn't as cheap as it has been traditionally over the last few years. Yeah. So you're, you're bringing up ground that I don't want to often talk about it. So 2022, we, uh, we started off 2022 with this idea that we would raise obviously funding. Uh, we started the year January last year, it's almost a year ago. And we started with this, I remember the board meeting quite well, it was January last year, board meeting, we're talking about raising 7 million, 7.5, even 8 million at one point. And that all seemed really doable. It seemed quite viable. You know, we had a really good unit economics, we had a low burn you know, cash flow positive, it was all looking really great, right? You know, you basically, if, if you wanted to, to sort of write a case study on, on raising money, it looked like a perfect case study, everything looked fine. And, and that was great. We had all the right people and things and then, and yeah, March came along. We had, you know, YC Combinator putting out an announcement. We had, you know, SoftBank, Sequoia all putting out quite horrific announcements, you know, don't raise, <laughs> extend your runway, don't invest. It was a, it was a horrible uh, month for us. And we quite quickly scaled back our plans. Um, so we scaled back our plans in April, reduced the, the total amount that we were seeking and started asking for 3 million. So we started just going around and I had so to put that to put that into some numbers, I ended up speaking to over 100 VCs last year, and they were you know all being pitched with this three million pitch, the same kind of story, and it was a really tough year. So to to kind of you know when people when people speak about raising funding and stuff, they say that it takes over your all all of your life and your all of your entire focus, and that you should have someone focused on it. The period that we went through last year was definitely true of that um so in previous years it hadn't been so tough because as you know funding was much you know much more readily available in 2020 and 2021 there was amazing valuations there was a lot of cash flowing um vcs had much much um more more sort of friendly founder friendly criteria and things and it was it was a lot more fun raising back then so the the kind of penny really or the coin really dropped last year when we went into that period of fundraising and it wasn't like that it was really tough and um, every day i was speaking to a new vc following up with vcs answering all their questions it was really really 
it was really grating and, and time consuming and meant I didn't get to do anything else. Um, which, you know, if, if, you, if you did that for much longer, I think you would, you would probably quit. It was a, it was a horrible period of time. Um, you know, no, it's basically like sales every day, but nobody was buying for like eight months. Um, so went through that, but thankfully, um, by middle of last year, we had support and backing from our existing BC. Uh, 1818, so 1818 based in Guernsey in the UK, and 1818 joined the round in August, which was amazing. And that, that was the first um, of, of many dominoes that then followed. So we went sort of August, September, October, with you know the next domino following the next one, the next one, and people started to follow. And and that's I guess one of the key learnings that I would suggest for anyone watching that wants to raise money is that you need that first investor to commit. And then everyone else typically commits off the back of that. And that, that was really apparent last year when, you know, everyone was really playing their cards close to their chest, but as soon as they saw someone else going in, that was enough for them to then go in. Uh, even, you know, even though our, all of our unit, unit economics and metrics looked great, they wanted that comfort and that reassurance someone else was investing first. So that was a great, um, a great domino effect up to the end of last year. And that allowed us to, to eventually close the round in December uh, about a week before Christmas, led by 1818, like I said, uh, with a bunch of other um, either, you know, amazing angel investors, but also uh, syndicates and things joined around as well. So it was, it was a really good round for us. We added about seven or eight new investors, and then the other investors were all existing and follow on. That's really interesting. And, and I think you gave some really good advice for founders out there who are looking to raise um, with regard to what you've raised, is any of that going to be going towards hiring? Yes. So about 50% of it will be going to the U.S. hiring. Um, so hiring people in the U.S. and also people in the U.K. to support the U.S. system. Okay. And if and anybody is watching well this... From if it, yes, of course. If anybody is watching this and they are interested in uh, applying for one of these roles, what are the kinds of roles that you're going to be hiring for and how do they apply? Yeah, good question. So sales and support roles, that's really what we're looking at. So typically sales, we're looking at SDRs, mechanic execs, and then in support, it's all about success. So success managers and helping those people um, that start using the platform to reach that magic number of seven and then go on to interview hundreds of candidates a month. Um, and, and do that consistently every month. So I'm trying to reach their hiring goals ultimately is what we're trying to help them do. So we're coming up towards the end of our conversation together. Uh, before the call, we talked a little bit about uh, a special offer that you have for some qualifying companies out there. And I'll pass over to you to talk a little bit more about that, Yun. Sure, thank you. Um, so we've got an offer for startups. Anyone that wants to use Willow to help grow their business grow their startup, as long as your startup is less than three years old, um, you can get 50% discount on Willow. 50% discount is, you know, a couple of hundred pounds or a hundred, couple of hundred dollars off a year. It's not an insignificant amount. Um, if you go to willow.video, so W-I-L-L-O.video forward slash startups, startups is all one word. Uh, there's a small form, fill that in, you'll get a coupon sent straight across, and then you can use that straight away to redeem and it's either for a monthly subscription or an annual subscription that you're getting 50% off. So that just really helps startups like us 
and grow and, and improves their organization and not just improves organization and grow, but improves organization and can grow with the right people, which I think is, is really exciting because that's particularly fundamental to the, the success of any startup is, you know, grow with the right people. Fantastic. That's a very attractive offer. Ewan, uh, thank you so much for coming on today to talk to us about Willow. It's such an interesting product. I can really clearly see the problems that you're solving for customers out there. You're clearly onto something good. You're raising money in a difficult market, and that's always a sign of a very strong company. I'm really interested to see what happens next with the international expansion and further expansion into the US. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for coming on to the show. Thanks for having us today, Nick. It was really fun. I enjoyed that.